Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Grace Francis brings a different perspective to the advertising industry, and that's a good thing. As a non-binary and transgender creative person, Grace leads with an inclusive mindset, ensuring that not only are their clients considering diverse perspectives when creating communications and products, but that there are diverse perspectives in the room behind any campaign. Great ideas can come from anywhere, and inclusive perspectives make the work better. In this episode, Francis, Chief Creative and Design Officer at Wong Duty, chats about their journey in the ad industry as a queer executive, gives their thoughts on how brands can authentically engage in Pride Month, and shares how the industry can improve when it comes to DE&I. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Grace. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hello. It's lovely to spend some time together. Awesome. So you just recently started in your position at Wong Duty um, a couple of months ago. Talk to me about how it's been going. I'm really enjoying it. I think the biggest challenge I have at the moment is closing the laptop at the end of the day because of something I'm really excited about looking at. (laughs) And uh, you can't really ask for more on a job than that. You really can. I'm definitely you know, looking forward to closing the laptop a lot of days. So that's, <laughs> that's exciting. Um, so talk to me about like your role as chief creative and design officer. Why is design part of your title? I don't often see those two, those two titles um, brought together. Talk about the, the strategy and the philosophy there. Absolutely. So I think it comes from uh, Wong Duty starting off in the early 90s as a really darling indie creative above the line shop, uh, starting off in Seattle and then LA, and then recognizing today we're actually 21 offices around the world. And many of those offices are incorporating all sorts of forms of design, products and services, metaverse work. And so really recognizing part of my role is thinking about what we put out into the world, the tangible physical products, um, as well as campaigns and how those products can shape who we are and also how we feel about organizations, what they do and uh, how they represent themselves beyond immediately what they sell and what they're talking about. Interesting. So I know you, you've talked a bit about inclusive design. Talk about some of the projects you're, you're doing in that space and how you think about design in that way. So for inclusive design, a lot of the time we're making sure that um, the people who are participating in the design are represented in the people we're reaching out to as well. So if we're making something for people who are disabled, there's more than one disabled person in the room. If we're thinking about a product or service that is benefiting um, LGBTQIA plus people, and we're seeing a variety of people from that community contributing. But I think it's also about a conscious effort from all of us as allies to think about what we put into the world. Um, Most recently, we've just taken on a a new agency in Germany who are absolutely fantastic. They're using a lot of cutting edge technology. And we know sometimes technology can be biased as it's being formed, um, if it's made by one group of people, um, or indeed if uh, the kinks are being ironed out. But I was really thrilled to see um, pieces of work like our NYX makeup studio that allows um, men or women to upload a photograph of themselves and see what that makeup would look uh, like before they purchase it without needing to go into a store. That's something we see a lot of. Um, But I was thrilled to see immediately recognizing that this product works very well for um, people of color, um, for black people, as well as white people's skin. And that kind of consideration and inclusion, thinking about who's involved in the project, and also thinking about who's going to be using that end product is absolutely essential for everything we're doing, whether it's a 
product, whether it's a campaign, um, we need to make sure that the people in the room uh, are the same as the people who are out on the street considering using our products or watching our campaigns. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you are a testament to having diverse voices and people in the room. You identify as transgender, non-binary. Talk about what that's like in the advertising industry, in in a creative agency where top creatives have so for so long been predominantly white men. It's um, both glorious and lonely. It's fantastic to be here and I feel really honored to have that position. And, and I still have huge amounts of privilege as a white person, as an able-bodied person. But uh, it's also really significant for me to be, for the first time, truly in a position of power rather than influence. And by that, I mean, when I took on this job, lots of people said to me, oh, this is a very big job. There's a lot of pressure. And I thought, why aren't I feeling pressure? And I realized it's because I haven't spent a single moment at Wong Duty having to expend any energy saying, I know I'm in this body and I know I don't look like a lot of other people in the room but I promise you I'm good at my jobs. Here's my book. Here's my track record. I haven't had to do any of that. People have just come in, accepted me, embraced me for who I am, and perhaps most significantly, haven't asked me to represent everybody who identifies the way I do. They're just asking me to represent myself. And uh, I can't tell you uh, how freeing that is. My shoulders sit squarely below um, my chin, which is a very relaxing sign. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that it's not like that in every agency, right? Like, is this rare to have this kind of an experience? I mean, I think it's not like that in the wider world as well. And yeah. some of it is recognizing that I'm saying how, um, how freeing it is for me. And yet I have a very big fat job title and that's not going to be the same um, for everybody, especially people coming into this industry. But I think by showing that I can take this place, I hope other people who are transgender, non-binary, um, or even just other people who are queer can see that there is a place for them in advertising. And uh, there is someone to see, someone's path to follow where they can say, okay, actually not only can I be part of this industry, I can also make it to the top. Yeah. I mean, you have to see it to be it, right? I mean, you have to have role models to look up to. Does that feel like a lot of um, like responsibility and pressure sometimes? Or do you feel like, like you said, it's not, you're not there to represent everyone in the LGBTQ community. You're there to represent yourself. Yeah. I think it feels like, um, I feel a great responsibility to share with people who I am authentically, even though at times that can feel absolutely terrifying. Uh, before this podcast started, we were talking about um, my hair getting longer. And uh, before the pandemic, my hair was very short. And if you'd seen me on the street, you might have thought that I was male or definitely would have thought maybe something was going on with my gender identity. And um, as uh, we come out of the pandemic and we can have regular haircuts again, uh, I'm really questioning what it means to travel internationally, to go and represent and let go of the privilege of people just presuming I'm a woman. Um, but I think it's really essential to, uh, for me to be authentic about that. I don't think all leaders have to do that. I think it's a very personal choice, but I feel if I don't do it, then, um, then I'm letting down the younger version of myself and someone who is also looking around and hoping to see someone like me. Yeah. Well, speaking of people who look up to you as a role model, like how did you get to where you are? Talk about how you were able to push through biases or feelings of non not being included or, or belonging and, and get to this position that you're in. 
I think it probably started off growing up in a household where I had absolutely no awareness of what was expected of of young women. Uh, So I grew up in a very free and arty house where um, nobody told me, you must sit this way, you must wear these clothes, you must wear a nice clip in your hair, any of those things. There was absolute freedom. And growing up and participating in culture, I'd watch an advert or I'd watch a film and I'd look at the hero who was usually a man and think, I'm like him. Um, that's me. I'm just like him. And that carried through for a really, really long time. So not having such an awareness of the patriarchy allowed me to move into rooms and and be who I wanted to be. But then when I did become aware of that and I became aware of my own gender identity, then not everybody looked at Harrison Ford and thought, that's me, um, Who, especially people who were born um, as a woman thinking that, then uh, I... I realized that I was intrinsically linking emergent technology, um, titles like chief experience officer with myself being someone that didn't fit in. So maybe maybe you found it hard to listen to me because I was showing you a really cool new piece of technology and that didn't make sense in a campaign where there was pressure to get a 30 second spot out and nothing else, rather than being rejected for my gender identity. And um, I tried to hold on to that for as long as possible. Uh, and uh, it wasn't ideal, but it helped me push through. Yeah. How did that like change as you left your house and, you know, sort of a more free environment that you grew up in and came into the corporate world? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of us try to pass. And again, I grew up, I grew up in a very arty house, but I grew up in a very poor household as well. And so when I arrived in the corporate world, a lot of the masking that I was doing was around my working class identity coupled with my gender identity and my sexuality. And so um, I knew that I had to present and fit in. And the amazing thing about uh, our industry is that uh, you get points for standing out, you get points for being authentic and how easy it was to be myself and to wear what I wanted to and speak how I wanted to and tell people the books I was reading and the music I was listening to and receive um, positive uh, engagement because of that. Um, I don't think, you know, if I'd stayed working in the financial industry or if I'd um, gone to some other of the consultancies that are available, I, I don't know if I'd have ever had uh, the courage to start doing that and realize how addictive it is to be yourself at work. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, right? Because you make a good point, like create creative industries, agencies, it's an eclectic, eclectic group of people who are, you know, they want to be working in, in the creative fields. It's a little bit more quirky, but at the same time, it's extremely exclusive to people of color, uh, people from marginalized groups. Like, how did you, did you find that to be like sort of a weird, a weird balancing act and, and still to this day? Yes. And I think it's the space between uh, identity and experience. In the creative industry, we really love diversity of experience. Um, Tell us about your past. Tell us about the fact that you ran a startup or that you used to work in an art gallery. What we're less good at is diversity of identity, thinking about our intersectional identities and how to be open to that. And I think one of the biggest traps here is that when we put out a job application, we say we'd love diverse candidates, but so often in the industry, we also say we want someone that's worked at a big name agency. Mm. So as we open the door with one hand, we close it with the other. And actually, I think 
rule the roles you can play in this industry, creative is the one that can have the most diverse backgrounds to it. I don't I don't need you to have worked in an agency before. I need you to think laterally and be the smart one um, when you're chatting with friends, the person who makes a joke, the person who's got a TikTok going. Um, so it really feels that if we're going to blow open the industry and allow um, those doors open to lots of different types of people, creativity, the most often the most prized role uh, needs to be the one to lead. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like a lot of creative agencies are now talking about, you know, there's this great resignation crisis going on and people can't hire anyone. So they're saying we have to look outside the our normal uh, talent pools, right? Like we have to look outside the big agencies, the big portfolio schools. Do you feel like that's happening or is that all talk? It's really hard to know the difference of what's happening in your organization to everyone else's organization. And I think one of the things we're seeing is that um, uh, by being open and authentic, uh, for me in leadership and other people in my organization, we're getting connections um, or people reaching out to us as well. So my LinkedIn is full of people who are marginalized and minoritized and interested in working in a place where not only are they going to be um, respected, they're going to be paid well, um, they're going to be having a good time. And that, I think, that ability to see the signal of someone else being different and thriving in it is uh, perhaps the most potent thing we have going. And I'd say to agencies who aren't experiencing that, um, let's get some basic hires right. And I think you'll see others flocking towards you. Yeah, I think, um, I know it's part of your remit is is to, you know, hire people, grow the creative team. How does your background, your lived experiences inform your leadership style? I know you've talked about uh, creative democracy, like great ideas can come from anywhere. How does your unique perspective shape the way that you lead and the way that you look for talent? I think for me, it's about creating an environment where, um, there's no wrong answers and there's as little hierarchy as possible. Rather than me saying, I'm leading the charge and this is what I want fit within this box that I've prescribed, I like to be a safety net. Whether you can see that safety net or not, it's always there. And so instead, being able to encourage uh, creatives to pull on a thread of an idea and keep pulling to see what comes out. It might not be what I had in mind, um, but it will absolutely be something of value that I can then boost and lift and make part of. And, and part of that is intrinsically being open to um, the way other people see the world and recognizing that they can bring things to the table that I don't know about. And this is particularly true of, of young talent as well. Um, the uh, Their TikTok feeds will look very, very different to mine. And uh, the way they use language, the way they engage with each other, um, we need to be open to that. And I've sat in rooms where the best idea has come from the intern who hasn't even decided yet if they want to be part of our industry. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like agencies are so hierarchical a lot of the time. And to me, that just seems like a perfect way to just squash all creativity, right? And and expression um, if you sort of are, are scared of all the people above you. Yeah, entirely. And years and years ago when I worked at Grey London, uh, the the chairman and CCO at the time, Nils Leonard, I was like my second day and I walked into a room and uh, someone said something and he clicked his fingers and he said, that's really good. That's tell me more. That's really good. And then towards the end of the meeting, he said, um, he said to me, he didn't even know who I was. I don't think, I don't think he knew who I was or what my job title was. It was my second day. <laughs> and he was like, what do you think? And I, I took a bet and pointed out 
a big hole, I thought, in in what I was seeing with the creative idea. And uh, he was, he took a breath and he was like, you're completely right. Why didn't any of us see that? Let's pull it apart and put it back together again. And that moment, which is not typical of our industry whatsoever, made me think, okay, well, he's done that with all his power and his skill and his privilege. I'm going to do that when I don't have any of those things and just see what happens. And what happened was more and more people started turning up to rooms where I was was um, running the creative and they wanted to be part of it because uh, not only could they be heard, but they could also be wrong and that was fine. Yeah, exactly. I think part of it is just being able to just, you know, brainstorm, spitball ideas and not have the fear that you're going to embarrass yourself or be told off, right? That, you know, all ideas are welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about it's pride. It's pride month right now. Um, what are your feelings about pride month and how brands try to, uh, you know, be a part of it? I, uh, I spoke to a content creator we're working with who's a trans man. And he said, well, well, pride's our Christmas, isn't it? It's our Christmas. It's all party. (laughs) And I thought you're 15 years younger than me. I feel exhausted, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, um, I think Pride can be an incredible space for us to, for people um, who are LGBTQIA uh, to be in the presence of others and just completely relax, to not worry and to be present and to enjoy those moments. And I think those safe spaces and those relaxed spaces are essential. But there's another side, which is um, when I think about corporations, I personally feel thrilled when a corporation is doing something, even if they're even if they're misfiring slightly or it's not as perfect as we want, they're doing something on an open stage. And if I think back to like uh, Starbucks, every name is a story from 2019, which features like a young trans person being misidentified repeatedly throughout that day. They go to Starbucks and they can give the name they want to give at the counter. That's an advert that makes me cry. I don't expect to be understood and to feel seen by a gigantic coffee chain. You can't say that every day. And so when I see really large global corporations taking a risk and starting to be part of that conversation, I personally feel more of that because they're not going to be perfect instantly. And I'd like them to keep trying until it gets better and better and better and it works for all of us. Um, and in between, there are going to be moments that that genuinely make me feel seen. I never thought I'd see a TV spot about a trans person getting to use the right name. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, same with the MasterCard's true name campaign is just it must feel so amazing for for so many people to be able to use their their chosen name on their credit card. It's just, you know, these simple solutions that corporations can can provide that just make people's lives better and feel more seen and included. But when do you feel like, oh, that's rainbow washing? Like that's that's not going to cut it. Or do you not feel that way ever? Yeah. I mean, I think it probably comes when we see um, the the evolution of food products. When we <laughs> see a mayonnaise talking about this is a gay mayonnaise. It's definitely not. It's just a mayonnaise with some flags <laughs> on it. Um, that doesn't quite work for me. Um, if you were going to make a mayonnaise, call it gay and give a million to, um, to GLAD, then... I will buy that mayonnaise for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, But that balance needs to be there. Um, But sometimes I think uh, there are food and drinks brands who are doing it very well. Miller Lite putting out the beers of queer history with an incredibly eminent author, uh, Dr. Eric Savitdi. And 
you know, this this is a brand that for half a decade has supported queer people that was supporting the San Francisco Folsom Street Fair in the 70s. Um, I don't even drink alcohol and I'm buying Miller Lite. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it, it feels authentic when there's a history behind it, for sure. But what do you do if you're a brand that's like sort of just getting started? You don't have that legacy is it about donating to organizations? Is it about putting your money where your mouth is? Like what makes it feel authentic? Yeah, I think it's the, I think the first thing to do would be to hire a number of queer people because those people will be able to exist and create uh, inclusive design within everything they're doing and, and they will be able to steer you well. Um, I think it's never wrong to write a check. Uh, I think um, I think it's really, really good to write a check. I think bragging about writing that check, especially if it's just six figures, if it's just a hundred thousand um, dollars, needs to go a little bit further. But um, I think if you're starting out, uh, partnering with uh, other queer companies, having queer staff and listening to them, all of those elements are a really good sign that you are trying to get things right. And and the term good intent has sort of fallen a little bit out of favor recently because it's kind of been co-opted um, in the corporate space to say, oh, they didn't mean anything. They just meant good. You know, they had good intent when they did something that felt like a microaggression. But mm. I still think we know what good intent is, especially when we're talking about organizations and um, seeing Elliot Page on the cover of Esquire, um, you know, one of the most successful men's magazines in the world. Uh, and the headline being the euphoria of Elliot Page alongside like best bars in America, um, mm -hmm. felt absolutely amazing to me. That's getting it right by just respecting who someone is and giving them the space as a world-class celebrity they should have on the cover of a magazine. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And it makes me sort of think like from my perspective as a journalist, how can, how can the ad trades or just even more broadly publications like be better and, and more helpful about covering these, whether it's campaigns, whether it's issues, whether it's Pride Month, like where do you see depictions of LGBTQ people in the media um, that work? I mean, I think you're doing it. I think, I think you as an individual are doing it. You sought me out to have this conversation because this is something that matters to you as well. And I think we know allyship is being active is doing something rather than saying I agree with something actually doing it and I think the trade press is actually very good at reporting the mirror of what the industry is doing so if we want to see more from you we need to do better with those campaigns and some of the campaigns I've seen this year feel good but I wish they were happening outside of pride tinder has partnered with a human rights campaign to end blood donation bans um, from gay men, which is really good. But if I'd done that outside of Pride Month, I would have felt um, absolutely phenomenal to see those decisions being made. Yeah, it's it's like, the, I think sometimes the fact that these things all happen within a month, it makes it almost feel like a little disingenuous. Like what, in, in what ways can brands extend these really good altruistic initiatives so that they're not just like checking off the box for Pride Month? Yeah. And I think it's also important to recognize that when um, the world we live in, we can't look at individual identities all of the time, because after Pride Month, there will be another month and another month and other things we'll need to think about. Right. And I think it comes down to um, brands recognizing our intersectional identities as well. Um, so 
in pride circles this year we've been talking a lot about how disabled people can access pride events um to physically access the venue but also have the things that they need um to be comfortable not in pain uh, to access a bathroom uh and uh as we start to look at those complex elements, um, I think brands need to recognize that it shouldn't be rainbows one month and then not the next. Uh, it needs to be integrating us authentically into lives and not just um, one dimension of a type of queer person, um, in fact, intersectional identity. So what do we do um, for queer people of color, queer disabled people and so forth? And that's how we appear in adverts, that's um, where we're hired, all of those things will come along. What do you tell brands who are like afraid? We're afraid to get it wrong. We're afraid to take the risk. Yeah, I think um, it's a really deep challenge. And I I think also we've seen uh, there are so many memes this year um, about uh, in, in sort of TikTok and other places around uh, this month I'm partnering with for Pride. Uh, and all of those jokes are about the um, fragile and surface connection. Um, I would say a consultant is your best friend. Do a small test, try something that's authentic. It doesn't need to change the world. And if you're doing something that uh, aligns with your own values, it's not going to feel risky because it's part of who you are every day. And um, that alignment, uh, if that alignment is present, that's fantastic. And if you're not sure, then again, turn to your staff turn to a consultant just to try something. I'd love to see brands get involved and try. I think the hardest thing is what happens at the beginning of July when all the logos change back again. Mm. And um, if I want to tell you about an initiative uh, that I have that benefits anybody in the LGBTQIA contingent, the chances of getting that coverage get a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is true. Um, have you seen anything this year that's really stood out to you? Any campaigns, any initiatives that you want to give some some airtime to? <laughs> so interestingly, a lot of the initiatives that work for me aren't just ones that have come out of Pride. I really like Lego Simple Everyone is Awesome set, uh, which features small Lego characters of uh, full rainbow color. And within that, that's a conversation starter for families. I'm sure it's a nod of allegiance and allyship for supportive aunts, uncles, grandparents who are looking at kids uh, who are on their way to coming out or might be thinking about coming out. Um, and again, it's a it's a brand with a really big reach saying, not only are we okay with LGBTQI identities, we're okay with those identities emerging in children and teens. Mm. And that kind of work means something. Um, we touched on the Miller Lite uh, coffee table book, but recognizing it's not just a book about bars, it's talking about the history of how bars have played an integral role in the freedoms and rights and moments of celebration um, for queer groups as they progress. And uh, it feels wonderful uh, to feel an actual connection. I think when we, when we think about why art is important to us and why at the very, very best uh, kind of campaigns we do, I think, feel like art. It's the resonance of the human condition. Mm. Someone has put something out into the world, it feels authentic and it connects with me. And that's how I feel about the queer history book from from Miller Lite. Who would have thought it? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's because it comes from such an authentic place. Uh, right. I, I genuinely feel full of love. Yeah, and it, it ties in historical context, which I think is important. Um, you know, speaking of that, I'm sitting here in New York, you're in London, but in the U S there's a ton of 
just attacks, frankly, happening on the LGBTQ community in states like Texas and Florida. People are trying to, you know, in my opinion, turn the country backwards and sort of take away the freedom of expression and freedom to be, you know, who you are that that LGBTQ communities have gained um, in this country. How does that impact the way you think about the work that you do, the position that you're in? I think it becomes even more important for us to represent trans people, gay people um, on the screen. And I think when, uh, whether we're in a major city now or not, I think a lot of us grew up in small towns. And when I grew up in a small town, I could watch TV and occasionally see a, a gay person. And it felt amazing. And that TV was broadcast all across the country. There was no missing it. And um, as I grew up and I moved to a more multicultural space, I could walk down the street and see other people who seemed to be like me. Um, now, whether it's the programming or the advertising, I think it's more important than ever to represent, to just show up. And I don't even think that's about saying um, this is our belief system. I, I have a very strong belief system. And I'm sure you recognize what it is. Um, but it's just about saying that that we are here and we're not going away and um, we won't be pushed into a corner. We won't be hidden um, and we won't live in fear. And a lot of what we do is, is helping people make a decision of which delicious snack to eat um, or uh, you know, creating a piece of technology that lets you look at a supercar in great detail from your um, from your laptop or your smartphone that you're never going to buy, but you're really salivating over. But every now and then we can do things that do shape culture properly. And um, whether that's consciously or it's just part of our everyday, um, whether the, the delicious snack also contains people who look like us, uh, that is the most I can do in this industry and I will continue to do it yeah. every day. Representation is is just so important. So, so what advice would you have for a young queer person who wants to work in this industry? I'd say everything that makes you unique and special, every time you make someone laugh in the pub, those are the things that are going to get you ahead in this industry. Come and be yourself. Um, come and bring your fashion sense and your editorial eye. Come and bring your jokes. Come and bring your culture. Take a risk and spend some time with us. It's not always going to be perfect. Um, the world of work and the wider world isn't perfect. But I promise you, uh, this is an industry where um, your creativity, uh, your independence, your authenticity and your tenacity especially will really, really set you apart. Awesome. Grace, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for just being so inspiring and for talking about these these topics with me. And I hope that uh, we can meet in person one day. Amazing. Thank you so much. It was really good to spend some time together. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.